Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong, a very special episode today celebrating a movie that is a prequel that we cannot wait to see, but the movie it's a prequel to is actually a TV show. We're going to get into all that more with our extremely awesome guest today. But first, Jacqueline Coley, I survived Vegas. Are you proud of your boy? I'm very proud of you. I'm also proud of the incredible job you did with Chance the Rapper. I am so sad that I wasn't able to do that, but the film festival gods were calling. But that was such a fun conversation. And then you jetted off to Vegas. So who's the real jet setter now, Mr. I mean, I I, I feel pretty good about it. You were celebrated when we talked to Chance because we did get to mention your love affair that is more online (laughs) than anything else with the great Bill Hader. But I think Chance shares your sentiments. And I'm just (laughs) thrilled that I finally got to experience Hot Rod. It's a movie that a lot of our friends had talked me into seeing for years and I never did. And I finally was rewarded for my patience because, God, that movie's funny. Um, But do you like to party, though? And does our guest like to party? That's just what I want to know does like to party but he had a weird experience seeing hot rod one day and so he's not i i need to resell him on hot rod he's a guy that i used to talk movies with occasionally and now more than anything i talk movie trivia with him and today we're going to be talking with him about his love i think i hope for the landmark hbo series the sopranos that is the movie today because the many saints of newark is coming out very soon it's a prequel to the events that we see in the sopranos it's basically how a very very young tony will actually just be the people before tony and how they might have inspired him to enter the life of waste management that tony embarked (laughs) on so for all of that we are now going to meet a man who is the genius behind the movie trivia schmodown schmoes no he's a very funny stand-up comedian again and he's a very successful podcaster with his new endeavor the big thing which you can catch on his channel ladies and gentlemen it is the one the only do you like how he gave you a nice intro christian harloff I was very, uh, very honored by that, but I'm, I'm upset because I thought we were doing a full rewatch of The Wire. Uh, I have not had an opportunity to watch The Sopranos. Uh, obviously, a kid. Thank you guys for having me on. I've been um, waiting to talk to you guys about this, and this is obviously absolutely something I'm passionate about, so I can't wait to talk about it. Yeah, well, your passion is now bleeding over to the walls of your studio because for all of our viewers out there, you can see exactly how big of a fan Christian is when we show you this, which is Christian. It, it, I this how much I don't want to ask how much it costs, but right. is your is your family, particularly your wife, pleased with this purchase? The easy answer to that, Mark, is no. Um, <laughs> so we the, the this is it. I bought myself an early birthday present as I'm doing this rewatch, and this it's comes Tony I- as Napoleon with his yes. beloved horse. So for those people who are hardcore fans, there was there was an opportunity to get either the original where Tony is holding a a glass of uh, champagne next to Pio Mai or to get the one that after they throw it in the dumpster or the or Tony tells the goons to light it on fire, Paulie takes it, puts it in his place, can't have Tony looking at him and then decides to paint him as Napoleon. I said that's the one. That's the one I need. And uh and my wife said, "Why would you get that?" I said, "Why wouldn't I get that?" <laughs> Yeah, she said it's going right in your the studio and nowhere else no. in the house. So, Christian, what we do on this show, it's called Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. We talk about whether Rotten Tomatoes is wrong. Now, The Sopranos, as a series, 
its average over its 6.5 seasons is 92% on the tomato meter. Is Rotten Tomatoes right or wrong about The Sopranos? It's right. Um, and it's funny because I wonder, had I not done a rewatch and I was I was thinking about this overall with The Sopranos, it came out at such a different time when it, the, the pilot was shot in like 97. It didn't hit the air until 98. Um, and it wasn't the way that these like HBO Max and, and Netflix and all these different the way that they approve series now with just episodes. You had to do the same thing that other networks did, and that's get a pilot done, get it approved, get it on the air. So what also happened throughout that you had you had negotiations with the cast and you would have to wait sometimes a year and a half, two years, two and a half years before you got another season. So you there's a lot of stuff to watch. So when you're watching the season, you sometimes forget what happened in previous with a rewatch. You see how good this series really is. And I think the first time I, I watched it. All back in the day when I had to wait in that time period, I didn't appreciate it the same way that I did on the rewatch because you realize how brilliantly written it is, how brilliantly acted it is, and uh, and how it's it's not predictable a lot of times, and the choices sometimes that people didn't always like um, really work and make sense for the for the characters of this show. Yeah, Jacqueline, it might have invented the concept or at least the need, the necessity of binge viewing, and now we all have the luxury of doing that sometimes. Yeah from the great city of Las Vegas. We'll so, talk about those HBO DVDs because my parents right. and I were not paying for HBO. And so both <laughs> with this show and The Rewire, I remember like first renting and then buying because you couldn't just watch The Sopranos once after a rental. Like you had to buy it. And I literally had seasons one, two, three, and four. First two on VHS. That's how old I am. And then the last two on DVD. That's nothing to do with you. That's how old the show is. This, the show <laughs> is forcing you into the media that you had to purchase in order to consume it. That's not on you. That's on the technology available to you at the time. So we are going to get into massive spoilers, obviously, because we're going to be talking about Sopranos. So before we get into spoilers, going to give you a little bit of a breath. And Jacqueline has the monumental task of <laughs> summarizing The Sopranos. Yeah, I'm not going to do that, but I am going to give you the basic hits uh, on this one. So uh, basically with this one, we have Tony Soprano. He is a capo or captain in the New Jersey uh, sort of crime family. And it sort of talks about him and his family. He has a young daughter, Meadow, who at the beginning of the series is heading off to college. A young son, Anthony, who at the beginning of the series is getting into tons of trouble. And his wife, Carmela. He also has his mother, uh, Livia, who's just also exactly what you would picture from a sociopath's mother in the sense that she definitely groomed him to do all of the dirty things that he does. You also have the men that are surrounding him, sort of like his mob, um, I would say, confidants and buddies. So you have Silvio, um, you have Michael, who is sort of the heir apparent. Um, you also have, um, let me think, I want to make sure that we talk about Michael's girlfriend, played by Drea DeMatteo. She's going to hold a lot of significance later on in the series. Uh, we have Artie Bucco, which is the place where the Sopranos go every night to sort of um, have their, I guess, their weekly uh, pasta. Also where Tony takes his mistress on certain occasions. Um, and I think I got Don't everyone. Don't forget about but- Paulie. Paulie, thank you. I was like, I feel like I'm missing someone. We this also have good, though. This is how good this series is, though, too, Jacqueline. It's like the, <laughs> the actors are so good that you that Christopher was now Michael Imperioli, who plays. Yeah. Christopher. <laughs> yeah. You can see him as whether it's Mike. You, you I, That character could have been called Michael. Could have been, hey, yes. Mike, hey, yeah. Mike. Michael Imperioli plays Christopher. And yeah. Him spider. And spider. then I definitely don't want to forget Paulie. And there's a ton of other like famous, I would say, mobster players that we've seen in other instances that pop up in this one. And then, of course, that capping off with uh, Dr. Melfi, who is Tony's therapist, which sort of sets up the premise of the show in the sense that a guy walks into a psychiatrist's office. This is Tony Soprano, the mob boss, who literally orders men to their death every day, but still cares about his kid making it into an elite college, is having panic attacks because those two worlds colliding is sort of what sends him there. And that's the premise of The Sopranos. Those are the major characters. And we follow him as he rises from capo to kingpin and everywhere in between. 
I mean, it's it's a riveting watch. It's a riveting rewatch. And I like that you brought up Dr. Melfi this early because throughout our career in Schmo's No and in, in the movie Trivia Schmodown, Christian and I have been each other's Dr. Melfi. And we have a Dr. <laughs> Melfi on this show. And her name is Producey Lucy. Hello, Lucy. Good What's morning. What's up, New York? Wow. Hey, capiche? No, actually, uh, I uh, started watching this on maternity leave three years ago. Really? And when Tony strangled a man with his bare hands, I was like, I'm done. I can't do this. The <laughs> so hormones. Season five, you were done. I mean, season uh, season one, episode five, you were it done. Was, it was too much for me. I had just binged all of Nurse Jackie with Edie Falco. Mm. And I was like, oh, I got to get more Edie. Is that how you say her name? Yeah. Didn't finish well, it. The point with that episode too, Lucy, is that HBO pushed back on that. When, yeah. when, oh. when Tony was going to choke him out, they said, oh. we can't have the lead guy just murder and david chase says that's who this guy is yeah he, he is going to be able to, he, he's so loyal to the mob and he's so loyal to it that sometimes he makes these decisions yeah that as a captain at that point he shouldn't be doing that but this is what we see from tony throughout the entire series yeah he acts on emotion whether it's with ralphie or whether it's all these different things he acts on emotion and he acts on these loyalties that he believes in the old school and he'll even break those rules all the time. But for that particular moment, David Chase is like, this is who this guy is and it has to happen. And even though it's brutal. Come on, rat. Who are you? What is this? Don't make me laugh. Oh. You pimp. You fuck. Teddy, there must be something we could do. Tony. It's Tony, you fuck. You know how much trouble you're in now? You took an oath and you broke it. I could have killed you last night outside the motel. Your daughter was drunk, remember? I was there in the parking lot. I had a gun, but I didn't do it. Because of her, I told myself. It's just a coincidence. He's taking his little girl to college. You know, one thing about us wise guys, the hustle never ends. You shot me at that motel, your life would have been flushed on a piece of dude. Please, honey, I'm begging. It's one of the most talked about and most memorable episodes of all time. It's oh, one yeah. of my, it, it's one of my favorite episodes for that very reason. And, and something else that I want to get into a little bit later on when we get into the TV talk of it all. But before that, so we know how Christian feels about the tomato meter. He is saying Rotten Tomatoes is right with the 92%. Jacqueline Coley, do we feel the same way? Yeah, I would definitely say it's right. And I would say it's a little wrong-ish because one thing I will say is reframing The Sopranos and, how, and what it did. It was such a watershed moment for television. It changed. Um, you do not get Omar, RIP Michael K. Williams. You do not get Walter White. You do not get Dexter. You do not get all of these sort of anti-heroes that would become staples, people that we rooted for that did nefarious things without Tony Soprano and sort of David Chase making that a moment when we could root for television characters who were dark and twisted. We did it all the time with uh, film characters um, and the entire noir sort of uh, genre is built on that. But television was safe. Television was families. And so to have this guy who would choke out a guy on his college uh, trip with his daughter was a, was a, a cool moment. So I would even say it needs to be higher. Like there's there's too much that this show did and those eight points are mostly because it did it so early. Yeah, if, if you're looking at the legacy of the show, I think you'd probably have to say it's 100%. But I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is right with the 92%. It is gonna be interesting though, once we get into talking about the season tomato meter themselves, because the lowest rated season on the tomato meter might surprise some folks to get into some of that and more. And for what the critics were saying about The Sopranos at the time that it was actually airing, we go to our expert review curation manager, Tim Ryan, for a segment that we accurately title Two Minutes with Tim. Two Minutes with Tim. So here's a very quick run through on the critical response to The Sopranos with a special emphasis on how it ended. Overall, the series has a 92% tomato meter. The best reviewed season is the first, which is certified fresh at 98%. It's worth noting that season three is at 100%, but it doesn't have enough reviews to qualify for certified fresh status. The worst reviewed season, season six, part two, is still certified fresh with an 84% tomato meter. And it was that last season, and in particular, the final episode that really divided fans and critics at the time, though some of that has died down over the years. It's got a 98% audience score, for example. So what did the critics have to say about the end of The Sopranos? In a fresh review, Alan Sepinwall of the Newark Star-Ledger wrote, Somehow, though, it feels like the perfect final note. 
Why wouldn't a show that's taken such pleasure in rewriting the rules of storytelling go out in the least conventional way possible? However, in a rotten review, Brian Zaromsky of IGN wrote, One can understand David Chase's desire to have a completely unique ending, but that doesn't mean we have to like it. So anyway, that's The Sopranos. Let's kick it back to Jacqueline and Mark, who I'm reasonably certain did not wake up this morning and purchase any firearms. Back to you, folks. Of course, Tim, playing around with the opening credits song that will hey, I'm really from get... Texas. Don't don't put it past us. I'm just that's very I true. It's, uh, I would not. I would not. Even easier now to procure <laughs> said firearm in Girl. certain states. But that song <laughs> will get so stuck in your head when you do. Uh, uh, and but I never like being the guy that just steps past the opening credits because I just get something out of them. So I don't like skipping through them. But that's a debate for another day. We are now going to go to. The one, the only, TV talk, I guess is what we call it. Yeah, TV talk. It does feel like a a movie, though, when you watch this thing, and it inspired a movie that's going to be leading up to the events of The Sopranos. But when you go through, Christian, and you rewatch this, what is the season that you think is the best? of The Sopranos, and why is that season so important? And if you feel free to give us a little bit of plot points for our audience who's probably still re-catching up and recharging with The Sopranos. So it's tough when you look at overall, I think, quality and moments and episodes that you just can't turn away from, and every episode is just more, 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 more. I, I felt like this back in the day, and I felt like this watching it again, and that's season two. I think season two is the best, one of the best seasons of television in general. I think season one is absolutely um, landmark, as, as Jacqueline was saying. It, it, it changed the game for television overall and allowed us to get such great episodes in season two because we were so invested already in all these characters. Um, but the, the thing is, all the seasons, as I was mentioning earlier, they blend in and make, and make the overall story that much better. Um, but it's something about season two of watching after the war happens between Junior and 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 Tony and Livia getting involved and watching how all that plays out. And then when you when you see what Tony Soprano is and you see him as this guy, he's he's yes, he's a sociopath, but he's a big child. And there are things that he still can't get over. And it's throughout the duration of the series his mother. And when she dies in season two, when she's, uh, or excuse me, when she, when she is still in, uh, in season two, when she's still there and, and getting into his head and you see, he, he won't even talk to her. He, he's, he's cut her off now because she, she was ultimately the one who ordered the hit. And then he's dealing with the stuff with big pussy and he's dealing with all these things that he has to deal with. And now he's becoming the boss because junior was, was, was caught. And now there's more pressure on him with all the stuff that's going on. It just is so layered and you get so much more into that blend of, again, what Jacqueline mentioned earlier We've had we we had had Goodfellas, we had had Casino, we had had seen that introduction into the mob world where we just had this idea of what the mob was. We never really got the intricate look of yeah, these are mobsters, but they have families. They are quote unquote normal lives sometimes, going out to restaurants, doing these things, having the the conversation about school and colleges and all that, and it made them human. And I don't think we were ready for that at the. We were like, well, wait a minute, we're supposed to like relate to them. I don't feel right relating to these people because they're killing people. But yet if this happens, you might have met someone like this and oh, that's a good guy. And who knows what he was doing 24 hours beforehand. And I think that's the window that both Sopranos did. And certainly in season two, you got a lot of that. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. 
That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, Jacqueline, I, I don't think it, it, it certainly didn't normalize the behavior, but it, it humanized who is doing the behavior a little bit more. And so obviously Christian is saying big pussy. That's a character, not a euphemism, kid. Right, and right. the, the, but it, I mean, like when you say whack big pussy, you're like, I, pardon me? What'd you just say? <laughs> no, he, he gets shot on yes. a boat in season yes. two. And right. you also have the, the Meadow Soprano storyline in season two really kicks into high gear because that's the first time as she's excited about getting accepted into college, she also has her life intersecting with Tony's life and she starts to see more of the elements of who exactly her dad is. And then you have, I mean, if you want to know how badass James Gandolfini and Tony Soprano can be, the fact that he takes on a T-1000, or at least Robert Patrick, who played the T-1000 in T-2, mm -hmm. and just makes him look like this poor gambling sap. Jacqueline, I feel sympathy all the time when I watch TV shows. I was feeling so bad for my for my poor cyborg from T2 towards the end of this season. It was just, I just wanted him to hang on another five minutes. <laughs> you know what's so brilliant about that? What was so brilliant about that whole angle was, and they even mentioned it in the, in the season itself, is that Tony orchestrated all of it. He knew that yeah. the guy was a degenerate gambler. He knew what he was going to do, and he gave him a shot. He said, "Look, you, you don't want to you don't want to play into this game." He had seen this happen a thousand times over, and he even says it. This is how I make my living. I bust mm -hmm. guys out like you, and that's what he's done. That's the trade. He is really good. And when you go back to the trailer of the first trailer of Many Saints in Newark, and the woman says, "This is a natural born leader." He has he doesn't he doesn't have it. You you can't see it yet, but it's there. And you see he learns the tricks of the trade, and that is a perfect example of everything that happens with Robert Patrick. Yeah, I will say too. Um because if we want to get into the one season that I particularly love, it's the next one. It's season right. three. But a lot of the reasons why I love it is because of things that happen in season two. Like there's a throwaway scene with Meadow and her friend Hunter, I think, where they talk about David and how he ended up uh, getting into drugs. Uh, he dropped out of state school. Like the entire sort of storyline of, you know, figuring out that there's so many repercussions to everything that happens here. Also, I love season three because um, this is where Michael K. Williams makes his HBO debut as Ray Ray. And I think the I, I want to say it's the last episode or the, the next to the last episode of season three. Um, there's also the Telltale Mozzarella, which I love because the entire storyline of Jackie April is just comical. Like just how stupid he was and how brazen he was. Um, I absolutely love Jackie, Jackie or Richie. Did I say no? Oh, Jackie's uh, young Jackie, the Jackie oh, Junior. Jackie Junior. Sorry, Jackie yeah, Jr. yeah, yeah, yes, Jackie yes, Junior. Yes, yes. Yeah, just him. You know, thinking that you know they can do this stupidity and there'll be no repercussions for it because he's right. trying to make himself and and essentially just makes himself uh, a place to go uh, die. And I think also this is the one that has. Is this where Pio Mind shows up? Pioma is in season four. Is that in season four? Okay, yes, but this is where four. Richie shows up first, right? Rich, this Richie, is where... shows up, Richie shows up in season two. Okay. And yeah. It's, 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 it's killed it's in like season every, two. Yeah, every season you get an April death, or well, at least the first yeah. three, right? You get yeah. Jackie, Jackie, who is obviously the the best of them, where yeah. he is, he's the boss when we first start the season, and he, he winds up dying of cancer, and they show because even with the way that they're murdered and the way that all these the, the, the tragic deaths they even mentioned so far that he just goes out withering away on a on a on his deathbed. Um, and then you have Richie April, who is just like a mix of like Al Pacino meets Henry Winkler as the Fonz. And it's mm -hmm. just like any and but he's so he is just so out of control and a loose cannon and that whole thing. That's what's so great about the Sopranos is you never know. You always think well, they're going to take him out this way. And when you have Richie has this, and this I'm mentioning season two before, Richie is just a thorn in Tony's side the entire time. And you say, this guy is going to be a problem. And when it, he starts dating Janice and then Janice starts to try to turn Richie against Tony. And then ultimately after Richie smacks Janice, she comes back, shoots him dead in Livia's kitchen. You're like, what is going on with this show? It's incredible. And then obviously, as, as Jacqueline just mentioned, Jackie Jr. Then in the third one, you think, oh, this is going to be the next guy. He's going to be the heir apparent. And he's an imbecile. And he Absolute does all imbecile. stupid yeah. things. And he winds up getting shot because he tries to do what Tony and, um, and Jackie did. 
as kids rip it, when they ripped off Feech Lamana, they try to rip off the card game. It goes really wrong. They wind up killing a bunch of people and they pay for it. Yeah. yeah, it would be like it would be like me trying to run the schmo down for a week. Um, you know, <laughs> Christian, though, it, it's interesting that Jacqueline brings up season three because season three does pick up on a lot of the things that were sort of planted in season two, but not the least of which is Tony's relationship with his mom sort of comes to a head in season three. And I think that the theme of that overall season does feel like Tony and his growing or, or in some cases debilitating relationships with his own family, with what Meadow's going through because now she's firmly implanted in Columbia. And then you also have AJ getting into trouble at school and starting to act up. And so that one really hits me because it also maybe sort puts Dr. Melfi into an extended role in Tony's family because she goes through something very personal, but it also yeah. helps her connect to Tony a little bit more. So season three is way up there for me, too. Yeah. Employee of the month. That's the one I forgot. The the, yep. the college yep. aspect of because I think when I saw this was actually my freshman year of college because this came out in 2000. Yeah, I, I think my freshman year of college was when I was watching this. So watching Meadow deal with an a crappy doormate when I also had a crappy doormate. I felt like David Chase was writing specifically <laughs> to me and employee of the month, like just when she says, no, there's nothing I want to talk about. Right. And they just go into the episode like it was the silences of the Sopranos held more like Shakespearean intrigue than entire like soliloquies and other shows like just that pause. It's OK. Go on. What? I mean, you, you want to say something? No. That scene is so brilliantly acted too. I remember um, Ellis, our mutual friend, producer Andrew Freed. We were watching. We were watching yeah. the that episode at his place years ago, right? And there was a bunch of us watching it, and that was a scream at the television moment for everybody in the room. <laughs> they were screaming, "Tell him, tell him!" Because everybody wanted to see this guy get his comeuppance, and that's what mm -hmm. we were talking about earlier, right? Where we we are rooting for things that we know, like this vig this vigilante thing in in us going, we nothing because nothing happened to this guy they let him go and we're like mm -hmm. tell tony and he's just and and there's that side of tony that we see many times why you ultimately you do like tony at moments because he does have compassion and when when she's crying he goes what's the matter what's the matter right and you're like and she goes sit down we're gonna finish this yeah. and he goes you got something you want to tell me and she just goes you're like is she gonna do it and she goes no cut it's brilliant it is one of the most brilliant uh written episodes of television like ever it was it was and you're just like oh my god and then the, there's things that this show continuously does in this real life type of thing where you don't get traditional television, where they don't tie things up. You go back to season three again. One of the best uh, was it? Is it Pine Barrens? Is that the is that the one where or which which is the one where the, with the Russian in the woods? That's like one of the yeah. most famous. Yeah. Pine Barrens, which fun fact, directed by none other than Steve Buscemi, kids. It's mm, it is. Yeah, it is a great episode. One of the uh, one of the most talked about Sopranos episodes ever. And they always ask David Chase, what happened to the Russian? And he goes, who cares about the Russian? It doesn't matter. He got away. He didn't get away. They never tied up certain things. You see which way he went? It's got to be close. If his head's probably hanging off. There's some blood over there. Where is this prick? You sure I hit him at the head? Yeah, fucking positive. I don't see any more blood. It's like the trail just ended. You know, we always thought he was going to come back. I think that there was like a confirmation, actually. I can't remember who said it. It might have been David Chase, actually, that down the line, he that the Russian did survive. But his but his 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 head, the head injuries were really, really bad. He was wanting to work on somewhere. He didn't remember a lot of things. Head trauma, he didn't remember the situation. That's why it never got out about Paulie and Christopher doing what they did. Yeah, yeah, Pine Barrens, one of the most talked about episodes because it does function sort of as, as one of the more standalones in, in the history of The Sopranos. But for my overall season, I'm just going to continue the trend and I'm going to go with four, not just because I want to be different, but I also really appreciate season four because things are starting to come to a head and I love the relationship between Tony and Carm, uh, Edie Falco, because yeah. she is such a, a strong character and a lot like Tony, 
where you could meet Tony and in one conversation, you can see that he is this this quiet storm that is always brewing. There's always storm clouds around him. And it's just a matter of whether he's going to go into rage or compassion in that particular scene. But you see it with Carmela through seasons where she knows some of the things her husband's up to. She suspects more things. But when you continually watch it and watch her intolerance of this behavior and how she's going to act out in retaliation, like the will they or won't they with Furio, I just found so like on the edge of my seat watching that because that was one of those things that we all knew the overarching things that happened in the, in the Sopranos even before I was a regular viewer of it this was not one of those things another one of the things that was really illuminated mostly in season four in my opinion was Tony having these panic attacks slash these weird visions that were almost like we're in a totally different sort of movie I had no idea that the mm -hmm. Sopranos got that deep into somebody's head oh, and man. it's fascinating to see the demons that are not on this guy's shoulder, they're squarely implanted in his hypothalamus. Yeah. They play, with, they play with those dreams a lot. I mean, the stuff that was going on with, with Big Pussy and we even when when Tony was, when they go in the, in season two, when they take him on the boat, it's because of the dream that Tony has and he's and he yep. based, and he's walking through and he, sees, and, he, and he sees that fish and he's like, you know, I'm working with the government, Tony. <laughs> and, he's, and 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 Tony, like he, he just he knows it and he didn't want to believe it. And it was his subconscious going, dude, this is going on. You got to. And, and that does that. The dreams in the Sopranos are some of the most fascinating ever, especially after Tony gets shot uh, by by Uncle June and all the stuff that was going on while he's in the hospital bed. The the dreams and the the stuff that David Chase, the, the, the research of stuff that he's done in dreams, it's it's fascinating. And to go back and watch up all the little things, it's also why I've, ch I've changed my opinion. I'm sure we'll talk about it later. The, the overall ending of the, of the uh, show. Yeah. I'll also add to a season four, since you bring up that one, my favorite, favorite uh, episode of season four was Anthony bragging about his mom's like porcelain doll or something. And yeah. then he goes to like the tech chick's house and she literally lives on this like estate of wealth and like just the emasculation he feels, <laughs> uh, you know, because he he wanted the brag, you know, look at right. us with our mob money. But like it was sort of that moment when um, when Tony thinks he's going to go away, I think at the season, end of season two or maybe something else where they're like pulling money out of the rafters. It's like they can't show their money. <laughs> Like, right. even if that dude is making millions, your dad is making millions legally, which is something that AJ, I don't think, clocks in that moment. But no. it's no, he, still hilarious. Both the kids are, I mean, are spoiled beyond belief, right? Like, Meadow, Meadow has it together. Meadow is actually the one that it, it, probably if she if she if she wasn't um, the an intellectual the way she was, she could have gone into that business you know because she she even a lot of times you see it there's flashes of it where she's she said my friends know what my dad does and if, and if they don't i'll cut them off like she does stuff like that where you're just like okay and tony says it many times she's got the stones where aj is is just a mess and, and can't and we see it throughout the entire series but jumping back mark to what you said about carmella um carmella is a very interesting character because when we meet her she's it's always about, for her. It's about the objects, the house, the stuff to where she is very superficial a lot of the times. And she there's but then she starts to realize there's other things that she she wants, because that season four scene that you that you mentioned, I've watched that scene so many times. And I think that it's it's a master class in acting between Gandolfini and Falco, mm -hmm. where Tony comes back after the the Russian girlfriend has called um, the house. And remember, he had just bought this whole place for out on the out on the beach, and and it, everything looked like it was going well. One phone call ruins it all. It all surfaces back up, and she's throwing his stuff out, and the raw emotion that is happening in that scene between um, Carmela and Tony is just next level stuff and it goes on for a bit and you can feel it and you can see it and there's like these are not television characters these are people when you're watching it it's it's a and they do it again they do it again even when 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 tony's floating around in the pool and carmela tells him she's like you know she, she, she just now it's time to throw ammo at tony and she goes for for months i have been dreaming and lusting of furio and he he makes this move at her You're like, oh, my God, Tony, don't don't do it. And he slams the wall and she even and it's like this thing that these two have. It's like the most toxic yet. They're perfect for each other, yet they're not. It's it's it is. It's just it's everything that you that you wanted from these two characters in those moments. I think every dude, 
every dude Carmela comes with is better than Tony. I'll just say that. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, how many the priest? You know, the priest, the 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 carpenter. The, at the one point, um, there's there's so many people that she's continuously just trying to get free. The teacher. Uh, and who ultimately is is a real scumbag. That guy, you know, he, he kind of dicks her over and, and things and, he, and the things that he says to her is just uh, really uh, horrible. Um, when she, he, he's like, you're using me to to try to get AJ into school, which might not be so far from the truth. But it's just the way that he spoke to her when she, I think she finally does have a relationship with another guy. It's, it's a it's a guy that just isn't 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 worth her. Yeah, I, I think that it's one of those weird things about the show is that our barometer for who is actually a good person is so thrown off because right. we are following Tony. It, even with all of his flaws, we somehow are pulling for Tony, even in the face of all of the, 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 the brutality, the misogyny, the, the, the racism, particularly when it comes to Meadow and, and who she chooses right. as, yeah. as a partner. And it comes to, uh, the, I do love the way that season four also wraps up because we have so many questions about what's going to happen with Christopher because he's getting deep into drug addiction. What's going to happen with Adriana because now she's sort of forced into being an FBI informant and that ends up being one of the more memorable deaths that we get to see in season five, which I believe it's late. I think it's episode 12 of season five where the, the Bruce Springsteen's guitar player yeah. <laughs> kills Adriana. It's like, this is little Stevie. This is Steven Van Zandt. This is the guy who's having such a great time on stage with the boss singing glory days. And now 15 years later, he's murdering somebody in a parking garage. So fun fact about Steven Van Zandt, if you didn't know this already, um, Steven Van Zandt, the actor who, and forgive me for not remembering his name, who played Jackie April and James Gandolfini were the three finalists for Tony Soprano. Oh, um, wow. And, I did not know that trivia. And, and and they ask him all the time. They ask him, you know, do you think that you would have been able to play this role? He's like, uh, I don't know. Being able to play Tony, it's a, it's a different thing. But, <laughs> you know, uh, and just t- the way that's that. A, that's a good, that's a good little Stevie you got there. Yeah. Oh, I love, uh, Silvio Dante is my favorite character. So any, uh, any time, because like, even when he jumps into the Pacino, I was like, every time I think I'm out. They pull me back in. And he's, he's, he's great in it. But the thing with Sylvia also, there's so many funny moments and he's always the consigliere and he's the one that that is is uh, can keep can be level headed. And then you can see that fits of anger whether he's playing cards, which is one of the funniest scenes ever. Oh, my um, God. It's so good. <laughs> I want to keep the cheese it's, at my feet. It's so good. It's like, Come on, this guy's playing fucking Hazel. <laughs> so messed up. So messed up. The best. And uh, but but yeah, but because of that and because you've seen him be kind to Adriana. You've seen him do this. And the fact that, you know, it's it, there, there are rules. And when those rules are broken, but, and Mark started to jump, I know we're going into five, but one of the main things we can't forget about in season three and four is Ralphie. Um, yeah. Because Ralph, Ralphie appears. In oh season, yeah. Ralphie appears in season three and he is addicted to drugs and absolute lunatic. And one of the hardest episodes to ever watch is that episode when he, when he kills the young, the 20 university university it's, it's so yeah. hard to watch. It is, it is, watching it back then was hard watching it now it's even hard knowing that she's pregnant and all this it's 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 brutal and then even trying to humanize ralphie after you've seen what he's done to humanize him in season four because his son like even though you this guy has done some of the most despicable stuff ever and it's just a complete murderer and a horrible human being you still sympathize for him and feel bad for him when his son shoots this arrow up and it hits the kid. And you're like, oh, it's a child, you know, and you, you're feeling you're feeling this guy's pain. And as he's going through it, Tony's like, yeah, but you killed my horse. And so now I'm going to cut your head off. It's <laughs> it's like it's like that's it. That's it for Ralphie. But yes, yeah, stuff like those brutal murders you're talking about, whether it's Adriana, Ralphie, Richie, like they come, they're shocking. And it's boom, move on to the next one. Also, wait, I have to do. So yeah. is it Richie? Richie is playing critic in university when he is in love with that movie Gladiator and he's walking around talking Ralphie, about Ralphie. what Ralphie. Sorry, I said Richie. Ralphie is uh, walking around. What we do in life echoes in eternity. And he watches Spartacus and gets pissed at I Christopher Maltesanti. And I'm just like, oh, and Rotten Tomatoes. Audience score critics are born in this moment. Uh, I, quote, I, quote, I quote that that scene all the time. He's like, there weren't flat tops in ancient Rome. <laughs> it's the best. It's the best. Oh, man. What, this is why classic that, film is yeah. not easy to, to, to digest all no. the time. But Spartacus uh, is a great movie. 
Jacqueline, so so Christian sounds like he's going to take Silvio as far as like his favorite character. Um, do you have a, a one standout that is like that you would tell everybody, hey, that's my favorite character, my favorite role in all of The Sopranos? Well, I'm not going to confuse this one because also, let's be honest, there's so many Richies, Ralphs, Paulies, and Tonys in this freaking show. Like, it's really hard. But it really is, is like the wedding scene in Goodfellas where it it's really like everybody is. has the same four names. Yeah. But no, actually, uh, Christopher. Uh, Christopher Maltesanti, yeah, he's a writer, maybe a bad one, but he's trying. Uh, I, I've al I always had a bit of a, a soft spot for Christopher Maltesanti. Plus, I just love Michael Imperioli. He yeah. wrote a lot of these episodes. So um, I think Michael wrote Telltale Mozzarella. Like, that's the other thing about him. I was always like waiting for him to just reemerge as this incredible both writer, director. And I still think that's possible, but... Um, there's a great behind the scenes video of um, uh, of like all of the characters naming their favorite mob movie. And and Michael Pirioli picks uh, the Jim Cassavetes movie. And I just like love that he didn't go with Godfather or Goodfellas like everybody else did. Uh, but yeah, he's just like a different dude. So love the character, love the actor. He's phenomenal. And what I would also for people who love The Sopranos and aren't aware, uh, both he and Steve, Stephen Sharippa, who do, who played Bobby Bacala, they have their own podcast, Talking Sopranos, that is fascinating. And it, it dives deep into their go. They go through every episode of every season they have on guests, they have on everyone. It is it is a listen. It, if, if you're a Sopranos fan, and honestly, if you're just a television fan in general and you because they, the first episode, they break down how the pilot went down, how they were able to do all these things, what they thought it was going to be, the the how timing works out as far as how people got cast. It, it's really fascinating to listen to. Oh, man. Why? Christian, it's it's the NFL season. OK, I don't have time oh. to do this. And now uh, and now I have to sacrifice hours of sports talk radio a week so I can catch up on this because that's. It sounds amazing, and and it. I'm sure they talk a lot about my favorite character. Look, we all know how great Tony is. We all we all know how great Karma is. You know, Edie Falco and, and and James Gandolfini are just like Mount Rushmore level TV actors and characters. But again, the guy that I found myself drawn to was was Paulie. Oh. I mean, I just I I enjoy, and the reason why I enjoy Paulie so much, not just because. Polly Walnuts is played by Tony Sirico, who was like a real good fellow. He was arrested not once, not twice, 28 times, served 20 months in jail. And that was really what he did before he got into acting. But he also lends a sense of humor to this. And sometimes it's him and Silvio. And there's some real gut busting moments throughout the history of The Sopranos that lighten the mood. Now, now when you're watching it, a rewatch, you know that it might just be setting you up for a shocking moment in the next scene. But I do love just the levity of like, at, at some level, these are just guys who are going to work and they're reading the paper and they're hanging out with one another and they're busting each other's balls. And it's like, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Well, Tony yeah. Sirico is, is no joke. Like that you look at, there's an, there is an, uh, an interview he did in like 1989 when he talks about a lot of the stuff that he did. I mean, this guy was, was, was for real. And, yeah. and he, he brings that to the Sopranos, but he does bring that humor. One of my favorite Pauly scenes um, is when they're in Starbucks and he's getting all pissed off that the Starbucks and the corporate stole it from the Italians. So he winds up stealing stuff from the store <laughs> to pay it to like in order to, to get them back. And then like the, his lines, certain things that he says, he'll repeat himself because he's not the brightest guy. And I think that he's they're sitting around at dinner. I think it's season four with Christopher. And he's like, uh, and he goes, uh, she's something about the, the dinosaurs. And the woman goes, yeah, the, the meteors took him, took him out. And he goes, they're all meteors. And, and, <laughs> yeah. and Chris goes, meteors, meteors. <laughs> so, yeah. so great. Let's talk favorite kills. Oh, favorite kills. Do we um, do favorite kills? Is there, is there one that was like shocking to you? I, I mean, look, I, I will start with the Fabian kill in season one because I just I, I remember being on a trip with my dad and my older sister when she was looking at prospective colleges and me and my sister shared a hotel room. My, my mom and my dad had a hotel room and it's like, OK, we went to bed at the end of the night. I don't know what my dad. I assume he was just going to sleep. He might have been out whacking a guy like what Tony's doing. Right. But it's like to have the stress of a dad taking your daughter to look at college and then also having that lumped on top of it. And that's one of the first episodes that we really are getting to know Tony. It was just, it was very eye opening and really set the tone for what we were going to see for the episodes and seasons that follow. You know how they lighten that that load a little bit too, Mark, in that episode is that that dude is like two seconds away from actually killing Tony and his daughter from outside the hotel. Right. 
Right. So when he's out there watching them and he lies to Tony and says, oh, I was going to do it. He couldn't do it because there's people outside watching. He was he was going to do it. So you're like, all right, eye for an eye. I guess we're all right. We're OK with this. And then and and it's what it, it is. It's still brutal when he does it. But it's uh, but that's I think the guy wasn't a good dude. It wasn't like, oh, man, Tony just killed like an innocent guy. Like in the beginning with the gambler and he and he runs over the guy with, with yeah. music, just beating the hell out of in front of everybody. It's like, oh, man, OK, this is what this is what this show is. Yeah. Uh, Jacqueline, how about you? You got a favorite favorite kill? I mean, I guess I don't know if it's like a kill or just is death. We, death. We can go with yeah, de- we can go with the, we can go with the soul leaving the body in some form. Um, I'll go with uh, Christopher Maltesanti again because oh. that was one another example of there's so many deaths in Sopranos. Like, look, um, when they did the top ten after. Um, La Serva, Andrea La Serva, what's her, what's her name? When her character died. Oh, yeah. Yeah. They did a top 10 with David Letterman where they were like, uh, top 10 <laughs> reasons, da, da, da. And like literally her line was, uh, what are you going to do? Kill my character? <laughs> it was like, oh, my God, if you can find the YouTube <laughs> clip, it is like the day after she had just gotten killed oh, wow. off of the show. And like it was literally like a hard moment. But yeah, his death, just how anticlimactic it was, given how much tension they had had at that moment. And and yeah, just everything. So, yeah, like either Andrea Laserva, I'll put her death because, yeah, you knew that it was going to end badly, but you didn't think it'd be that bad. Uh, especially when it looked like they were going to ride off into the sunset together and go be in witness protection. And then, uh, yeah, Christopher Maltesanti in the car accident. So, All right, Christian, you're up. Well, I mentioned the, the Richie one. I think that was so that was so shocking. Yeah. Um, if I give an honorable mention, you know, it would be uh, the Bevilacqua murder when after they, they try to take out Christopher and, and Tony shouldn't be there. And yep. And the one time pussy should be wearing a wire. He's not. And he winds up doing the hit with Tony. Um, but I think it's it, it's it was it's kind of a tie between Ralphie and Big Pussy because Ralphie, the one with Ralphie, it's it's just so sudden. And again, Tony shouldn't be doing it because he's a captain. And no matter what he did to the horse, whether he did it, he's just he says he's like, no, I did not. And even <laughs> if I did, so what? You know, like that mm-hmm. whole that whole thing. He, he, he's right in the rules of the mob. He's right. Mm-hmm. Tony should just, you know, find him, do it. But Tony's emotion and the connection to the animals and everything that harkens back to season one and this connection he has to animals, that that's what that's what happened there. So but but it, it's got to be big pussy because of the lead up from season one to when you get there, because that one that again, the rules of the mob, you you made your bed you and your friends basically did it. And he says, don't just don't shoot me in the face. All right, don't shoot me in the face. And they honor him by not doing it. But it's right. like it's this, these three, these three friends, four friends there. And this moment and you feel and it's been leading up and the and the misdirect of it wasn't. It was Jimmy. It was fucking Jimmy. Like uh, all the, like that whole lead up from season one into season two. And finally, no, it, it was him. And he's trying to be an F. He's trying to be an FBI agent. And, he, and, he, and that's that comical scene when he's trying to track, uh, you know, more information. He went to running over the biker. He's just such a disaster um, that it all leads into that moment on the boat and leading from those dreams. I think it's the most impactful. Who died on the toilet? Um, that was um, not Jimmy. Um, what was his name? Because shoot. I was like, that was pretty hilarious. Oh, man. Pulling, pulling an Elvis, as we call it. Yeah, he pulled an Elvis. I, did they even say that? I don't remember. I don't but remember was... his name, but I remember that was the reason why Ralphie oh. became a captain. Was right. Because that guy died on the toilet. Right. And I right. remember that was a, just such a because like I think Polly was like on the Pichadu. do. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. right. While we, we scrambled to figure out who it was that perished on the potty. Let's go to the final question in this segment. And there's, we all knew it was coming. There's Gigi. Gigi. Um, we all knew this was coming, but we didn't know that the ending was going to end like that. Christian, where were you when, were you watching the show? Were you a fan of the show? What, when it was airing? And we all know by now we're in a diner. We're here in Journey. Yep. And the, as a gunman purported shows up and then we just fade to black. What was your initial reaction? Well, we don't know if it was a gunman. That's the that's the whole yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so, yes, I watched it live, hated it when it happened, because like everyone else, I thought my television went out or I thought like it just something happened or HBO messed something up because it just fades to black. Um, 
through the years, very similar to what the report was saying before in, in how critics have seen it over the years. I love it. I think it's brilliant. And yeah. when you analyze it and when you look at all the things that David Chase sets up from paintings in the background, people that are there moments throughout the season in general, it's pretty clear cut what happens um, at the end. I, I don't even think there's there's an argument anymore that Tony gets killed. I think it's because they, they even throw it to Bacala at one point. He's like, you know, you probably don't even see it when it come when it's coming. Um, and it just like that it's over um and they set it up where the guy walks out he looks like the the capo that killed himself there's the there's there's tons of different things going on in that scene and when you analyze it and you look at it and you look at all the different theories but then you look at what david chase has set up the ones that make sense it's a pretty brilliant ending jacqueline did you think your tv was broken did you call your cable company again Jacqueline Jacqueline technically has never afforded HBO. I left my parents' house in 2001 and I haven't had cable since unless it came free with an apartment. So I definitely did not see this live, but I heard about it. This was like, what year was that? 2004? Seven. Seven. Seven? Okay, so I was still on MySpace, but people on MySpace were very upset. Uh, They were very upset about this. Your top eight was not happy. They were very upset about this. I remember that. Uh, Yeah, they were. Yeah, that that was the only thing I remember about it is just like people used to have like the Sopranos as their song when you went to their page and they were all like, and message boards were still a thing back then. Right. And a lot of the TV message boards that I used to watch uh, were talking about that one. So, uh, no, I didn't watch it live. So I knew it was coming when I did watch it. Um, Both The Wire and The Sopranos. I would have to wait for it to come out on DVD to watch it and just try to avoid spoilers. But the Internet was not the Internet, so it was easier. No, I can imagine MySpace was blowing up. I I didn't pay attention to like I I watched it, but I didn't really have a whole lot of context because I wasn't a loyal watcher of the show back then. And so I just wanted to see the TV event everybody was talking about. But nobody, or at least I, wasn't rushing to MySpace to see what all my friends thought of what we just saw, like we all do with Twitter or Instagram now. I cannot imagine what Twitter would do if this had aired now. And we all saw it, what the debate would have been, what the reaction would have been. It would have been going on forever, kind of like the debate goes on anyway. I do tend to agree with Christian, though. I I think it's pretty clear cut when you go back and you analyze it again and again and again. And you see the genius and the care and the creativity that David Chase put into the entire show, but particularly how to wrap things up and how to make it different. I do think they wanted to make it different. I do think that they wanted to make it stand out because this was such a landmark TV show to begin with. And it still represents so much of the new guard of how we now regard television, whether it's streaming services or whether it is cable services. It's all these things where it's really taking the baton from network TV and running with it in a completely new direction. And so we're going to talk about some of that stuff quickly as we move on to behind the scenes. This show, in no small way, it is not hyperbole to say it absolutely changed television because one of the many accolades it received, it won a bunch of awards, but it was so important in 2004 when it won the Emmy for Outstanding Drama. First cable show to do it. And so now we're talking about opening the door for shows like a Breaking Bad or whatever else that was going to follow to say, no, not only can you be a show with an anti-hero as your lead character, but you can also win awards and you can have accolades and you can gain an audience. And so I think it's got 21 total Emmy wins off of over 100 nominations. And it, the list just goes on and on. So the Sopranos is ranked number one all-time TV show, according to Rolling Stone. And on virtually every other list, it's somewhere in the top 10. But the question I have for you, Christian, and you, Jacqueline, is how excited are we for the future of The Sopranos? And by that, I mean the past of The Sopranos with The Many Saints of Newark coming out soon. Christian, we did the big thing, your show, the morning that that trailer dropped or, or, or shortly thereafter. And you and I both were just like, we, we couldn't stop thinking about how great that looked. Both trailers are, both trailers were set up in, Typical David Chase fashion. The first, they, they both have a great use of music. And that's something we really didn't touch about uh, overall. Yeah. David Chase's use of music is is phenomenal. And, and every single one is intended. It's not like, oh, well, that song will fit there. It's all, they all have a purpose. And the same goes for these trailers. Um, and you see the first one focuses on young Tony. The second one focuses on the, who will be the, the um, I guess, anti- protagonist of, of the movie. And that's Dickie Moltisante. 
Um, to answer as far as me, my my anticipation for this, uh, it lands on my birthday when this thing comes out. It comes so, out on your birthday. That's right. It's out on my birthday. It's, I o- act- it's October 1st, everybody. If, if you want to send Christian a nice card. You don't need to do that because I am going to be nowhere uh, near anybody. I'll be sitting on my couch eating uh, what my wife has already uh, said. We're going we're gonna to do this. We're doing a baked ziti. We're doing we're doing meatballs. I am gonna have wine. I'm gonna I have my robe. I'm gonna be sitting down watching this uh, watching this movie. I'll probably watch it a thousand times over. And I'm crossing my fingers that it's so good that we get at least a mini series um, on HBO Max uh, because of it. Please take a picture of of the spread. Of, make sure the robe is closed, dear. But it posted on Instagram because I want to see the the spread that your wife makes. She's been selling me on her on her meatballs since day one. Very exciting time in the Harloff household. How about at the Coley residence? Are we excited for the many saints of Dory? Have you already seen this, Jacqueline? No. Okay. But I will say I didn't even watch the trailer until last night. <laughs> Have you seen both or just one? Just one. I just saw the one trailer and I think it's just the teaser trailer. I'm going to go back and get like hyped for this one. I will admit as like Mark knows, but you don't maybe know Christian this time of year, absent the podcast, there's very few things that get me distracted from random like award season movies. Mm -hmm. So like literally I'm like much more concerned about seeing Edgar Wright and like Dear Evan Hansen and Power of the Dog. And so it's really hard for me to be like, yeah, I'm going to go check out the TV movie about the show that I watched 10 years ago. I will, (laughs) but it's just not going to be on the top of the list. Because of so, I still have not seen both seasons of The Mandalorian because it happens in December and that's in the middle of my busiest time. So like, Mm. just to give you an example, so I literally just watched the trailer last night. I did read a really great interview though with James Gandolfini's son, who plays Tony in this, which I thought was incredible because again, it's, um, it's kind of, you know, incredible that he was able to do this, that he possessed the talent that David Chase uh, sort of like um, instilled him to play this role and that he was able to pull it off as well as he did. Um, And he said it was a bit of healing that he had from um, the fact that, you know, he was with his dad when he passed, when he had his heart attack. And like, there's a lot of, I think, wounds that he got to heal through the process of playing his most iconic role. So if nothing else, that is going to be a really great legacy for this. Uh, Final word to you, Christian Harloff, before we move on to mailbag. If you're talking to somebody who's maybe listening to the show and and they haven't seen the, The Sopranos yet, why is this the show that they need to check out? Well, I mean, as we all mentioned, I think on this show, it, it's the show that changed television today. It's the it's I think the reason why we have a lot of different shows, not just the the iconic characters that we've all mentioned already, but um, the it's a cinematic show. And a lot of the shows now follow in the footsteps of The Sopranos. And I think that the other thing is a lot of people always associate right away. And the reason they're hesitant for watching The Sopranos, like, ah, I don't want to just watch a bunch of violence and and, and, and mobsters. And there's certainly a lot of that. There's 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 no doubt about it. There's no skating around it. But it's not just that. And what I always tell people is, I, if someone says I tried jumping in and watching it during the seasons, you can't do that. You've got to watch the pilot yeah. because the pilot gives you everything of what this show is with the the two families, his family, and then the the mafia, right? And you you have both of that, and you get introduced to these characters. And there's and, and it's writing. If you enjoy really good writing, you enjoy arcs and non-conventional television then you should give it a shot and it's not dated it still works it's i mean the first one came out in 97 so 24 years later it still pops and it still works i am i am more into it now watching it in the rewatch than i was even when i was a massive fan back in the day yeah might have changed fashion a little bit too it was the hottest show of 2020 because once the pandemic happened the numbers, these are according to stats provided by HBO, the viewership of The Sopranos went up 179% through their new service. The, the weeks of the stay-at-home restrictions went into effect. And so that's pretty monumental numbers that you're looking at from a show that, like Christian said, debuted way back in 1997. Also, fun fact, I think 28 cast members from Goodfellas make some sort of appearance in... The Sopranos, but here's your trivia question for today, kids. Only one, only one person that shows up in The Sopranos in a regular role also made an appearance in the Godfather movies, the first two Godfather movies. Who is that person? I know one. Jacqueline is. Uh, I know one. 
Who you got? Big Pussy is. Oh, wait, no. Wait a minute. In the Godfather movie. Wait, wait. Yeah. Who is it? It's Tony Sirico's in Goodfellas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, who's it? Um, yeah, and I didn't know that until I was watching Goodfellas a couple weeks ago. And I was like, ah, Paulie. Was it? James Kahn. Can. James Kahn is a great guest Kahn. because he played uh, famous Wake Forest running back Brian Piccolo in Brian's song, but that is incorrect. <laughs> so, yeah, he's on Instagram. Um, so uh, how about, is it, I don't know, the is it the actor that plays Hesh? It is the actor that plays Uncle Junior, Dominique oh, wow. He's He plays uh, uh, he, uh, Johnny Ola. He plays Johnny Ola in The Godfather oh. 2. So go back and watch Godfather 2 and see more oh. Junior than Uncle, but you still get to see him in both The Godfather 2 and in The Sopranos. You know, I knew that too because they mentioned it on Talking Sopranos and I forgot. So Yeah, but according to Schmodown rules, Christian, you got 15 seconds. You were right. out of JTE rules right. and mm-hmm. you lose the points. So we move on to Mailbag. This is from our esteemed member of the Catch-Up crew, Tristan McGuire. Like Tristan, you can email us anytime with your thoughts, with your comments, with what you want to see us review. Movie, TVs, let us hear your take. Tristan McGuire says, My name is Tristan McGuire. One of my family favorite musicals is The Best Little Whorehouse in Texas. I watched it with my wife for the first time last week. She said she loved it. And we looked at the RT score and we're shocked beyond belief. We know it's not amazing, but we both thought at least it should be 75% on the tomato meter be great if you guys would cover it Jacqueline that's your home state the best little whorehouse in Texas is it wrong on the tomato meter I don't think so (laughs) no that movie is bad that movie is so bad it's got some good songs I'm all about some Dolly Parton but no it's bad it's in the 40s by the way it's 45 probably right on that it's 45 percent. but good news for tristan it is 68 percent on the audience score it's got burt reynolds it's got dolly pardon it's got dom deluise it's fun it's a fun movie i enjoy it but it's sort of like the greatest showman of the 70s like you can enjoy the songs without (laughs) calling this a good movie i have a fun fact about it my cousin norm newberry rest in peace he was the art director on it Oh, that's cool. Yeah. There you go. That's yeah. a probably a fun go. movie to be any sort of director on without <laughs> further context. So I will simply say, Christian, my boy, we've done this once or twice over our careers, and uh, it's great to finally have you on Rotten Tomatoes is Wrong. Every week, every week, Lucy and Jacqueline, Christian would t- is like, hey, you got to, when am I coming on the show? And, and I'm like, we all want to get you on the show. We're just waiting for the right movie. And it turns out it was a TV show we were waiting for. That's right. So Christian has some very exciting things coming up. In addition to the movie trivia Schmodown, we're very excited to be back in New York for that coming up soon. And then we have a big downtown spectacular, which is the closeout. It's our WrestleMania. It's our Super Bowl. That's going to be December 4th in downtown Los Angeles. You can get tickets at the Schmodownlive.com. But Christian, you also got some stand-up coming up. We have some stand-up coming up, as a matter of fact. September 26th, Sunday, which is this Sunday, I believe, the show just dropped, you're going to be on stage at Flappers, and this is your first time back doing stand-up in God knows how long, since the early 60s. It's the early 40s, uh, and it is, uh, it's the first time in Los Angeles in over 12 years. I, 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 you, you were gracious enough to let me uh, do a set, I think, around two years ago in New York. So doing that set in New York will be the first time doing like 15, 20 in, in a while. So excited for that and very excited for my show that I do on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, which is the big thing. We just had Katie Sackhoff on, speaking of Mandalorian which was a, a great episode. Um, you can get, you can go on over to the SEN channel on YouTube or find us on podcast, Apple podcast. We're going to be doing a full deep dive on, on many Saints of Newark once it drops. So. Yeah. And I want to do a full deep dive as to how your meal was when you were watching Absolutely. the many Saints of Newark. Uh, you got a movie recommendation for us because you haven't seen the Sopranos prequel yet. What's a movie that Christian says, Hey, y'all got to go check this out. What do you want to give our, our catch-up crew to listen and watch to? I mean, it's only because it's so fresh in my mind and I, I absolutely lost my mind for it. I saw it later than everyone else did because I just wasn't going to the theaters and the Suicide Squad. When I know it's coming out on Blu- Blu-ray soon. Um, mm-hmm. Man, James Gunn just really did it for me in this one. I wasn't expecting anything from this movie. I think it's one of the most um, interesting, brand new uh, types of very, again, speaking about unconventional comic book films. I loved this movie. I laughed louder by myself, like a lunatic, um, by myself watching this movie. And I just thought it was brilliant. So I, I would tell you, if you haven't seen The Suicide Squad and haven't had an opportunity to see it, check it out once it hits on Blu-ray or, or finally lands back on HBO Max. 
Yep, 91% currently for the Suicide Squad on the tomato meter. So like I said before, you can email us anytime. RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. If you want to drop us a line like our friend Trista did, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, all of that good stuff to this here podcast, as well as Christian's new podcast, The Big Thing. Wherever you enjoy podcasts, whatever that service asks you to do, do it because it gets more ears and eyeballs onto these quality programs. Jacqueline, next week, if you thought we were doing a deep dive into a TV show, Boy, do we have some work ahead of us, and it is going to be a good time between good and evil. Uh, yes. Next week, we're going to talk about a subject that I am very, very, I would say, versed in and love. Shaken, not stirred. A weak <laughs> martini, yes, sir. But we are going to be breaking down the James Bond catalog. Moonraker to Dr. No, No Time to Die, Pierce, even some Lazenby. We're going to go down all of the Bonds, and I can't wait. And Casino Royale with David Niven better be in this because that's canon. Sometimes we count argue it. against it. Sometimes we don't, but I'll give David Niven all the props in the world. Lucy, we should be allowed to drink during that show, right? We should be allowed to... Drink oh, should we, or, I'm gonna. Should we, I'm wearing a tuxedo and I'm gonna have a martini with two jalapeno queen olives. You guys are going through the whole catalog. We'll see in about four years. Hey, <laughs> listen, I will have leftover Emmys outfits. I may like pop into this for that. <gasps> let's all dress up. Yeah, let's dress I up. will. I'll promise you a tuxedo shirt, and we'll go. Oh come that. on, Mark! You have suits. You get in suits for the schmodown. Wear the orange one. Wear the orange one. I will wear my baby <gasps> carriage. <laughs> Do it. I'll look like a Bond villain. I'll look then like you'll fit in with Casino Royale. That will be your Casino Royale <laughs> yeah. look because they're very colorful in that one. I'll take it. Lest we make anybody cry tears of blood, we will get out of here on that note. So thank you so much for everybody for joining, for listening, for watching. Thanks to our special guest, Christian Harloff, for his expertise and his appreciation of art inspired by the Sopranos for the whole guest here. Brian Perez, Lucy Bruckner, Jacqueline Coley. I am merely Mark Ellis. Thanks to Rotten Tomatoes and all of you listeners and our catch-up crew out there. We'll see you next week for James Bond. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.